For more than 35 years, CSG has simplified the complexity of business, delivering innovative customer engagement solutions. With CSG, companies can acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. Find out more at www.csgi.com. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Steve Miller-Jones. I am the Vice President of Strategy, Industry and Partnership at Limelight Networks, a global CDM. Steve, thanks for joining us. Not at all. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Um, So uh, it's going to revolve around, and we're recording this on a Friday, so I can't wait to be done with work and start my my, uh, diving into entertainment (laughs) on the weekend, (laughs) listening to music, watching all the stuff I should have watched during the week, but I was too tired and I worked too late. Mortal Kombat's on HBO Max. I saw that. I'm I'm not a big gamer, but that movie, it has a lot of people getting punched. And I thought, well, that that's that you're halfway there Sounds for me. Great. I mean, yes. yeah, you know, very, very, uh, I'm a very shallow person when High it comes brown. to entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so uh, I'm, I'm, we've talked a lot about on this podcast and on light reading, we've talked a lot about, um, you know, how telcos uh, coped during are, are coping during the pandemic because we're going into our second year of the pandemic, especially the first part when traffic patterns changed dramatically. What I think it would be great to talk about uh, with you is how we're going to um, what's going to come on the other side of that and how the entertainment business uh, will change and maybe even where telcos might or service providers generally might find new opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and limelight seems like it's at the perfect spot to kind of see both sides of that because it sits, you know, um, as a content delivery network, your, your business is getting content to people, but you're also, your business is also, you know, um, helping service providers make their networks more efficient, um, you know, and, and, and what they're, and what services they're delivering and that sort of thing. I, I guess my first question is then wh- where do you see, um, uh, entertainment, you know, or do you do you actually see entertainment changing dramatically in terms of the kinds of experiences that are offered or the kinds of uh, things that we're able to do? Um, you know, I, I want to say at the end of the pandemic, but I would just say in the next few months, kind of right. when um, w- when people are getting out more and going to more live experiences, are are we also going to be augmenting things given that? I don't know, probably for the rest of my life, um, <laughs> there will always be some component of people, you know, not feeling great being in crowds and things like that. Yeah, I think it's been fascinating, as you say, you know, over sort of the last year, you know, as the pandemic took hold and, and to see um, changes in, in entertainment consumption behavior. So, you know, we saw, for example, the emergence of, of much more short form um things like tiktok really took off because there was a captive audience and so there was there was this change in consumer behavior and we published a couple of reports about uh, the state of online streaming which pointed at um different consumption pattern and behavior in different age groups so we saw even the more elderly age groups consuming more youtube for example so i think there's an absolute um truth that is the video 
platforms have become embedded in our social life and the entertainment platforms for short and long form are very much here to stay and a, and a, a companion to us in our uh, entertainment library, if you like. And so I think what's going to be interesting as we move forward into the, the next normal, um, if we want to use that phrase, or you know, as the world evolves around us, um, is that there's, we're going to have the continuation of, of like broadcast TV and live events and linear. But our expectation is going to be that we can choose how we're going to consume that. So are we going to uh, pause it and come back in five minutes because I didn't quite finish my dinner or the kids are still doing the homework? And I just want to I just want to press pause on that and wait and turn up. There's going to be the aspects of what's my companion to what I'm watching. Right. So additional data, additional services, additional um, applications or content that comes with what what we're consuming. And there's going to be, I, I suspect, a whole um, sort of emergence of a different type of storytelling, perhaps, and a different type of content management and content production. Yeah, that would be great for me because I'm terrible about multitasking, especially during shows where you have to focus and it, it drives my husband's nuts. He's like, stop <laughs> texting and playing Animal Crossing while we're trying to watch you know, the wire or something. Right. Because <laughs> I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> well, the, the the gritty streets of Baltimore are not enough to keep you riveted. You got to you gotta help a, a possum get across the street or whatever the hell. Come on, Kelsey. I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I felt like every, every season of the, well, I guess, it, I mean, it makes sense based on the title, but, you know, they just set up a wire again and things oh. don't work out and then they start all over again next season but that's, oh boy yeah that's okay. another podcast uh, kelsey.zizer <laughs> at lightreading.com please send your uh send your hate mail <laughs> that's right about the wire there. yeah you have to send different hate mail for different devices though right because that's like, right <laughs> is it going to work on android and and that's the, the kind of thing we've seen as well right is right how how do we deliver to every device how do we deliver to you know, the lean back experience, which is, is now a fire stick as much as it is a, a you know, a normal broadcast TV or a set top box or some description or my phone or my tablet. And if it is companion and I'm, I'm looking at the companion content or the additional data on a different device from what I'm watching on. Yeah, there's all of the formatting pieces that are, are the real challenge. So, you know, we've seen that over the last year, the demand for um, all the formats, uh, the demand for the ability to do them all at the same type of latency, the ability to help the telcos with you know, the management of data flows through their backbones and, and you know, how to manage uh, the business of streaming, right? And so those are all real challenges in entertainment that are, are coming out right now. And in live events now, um, this is another, um, I, I appreciate what you said about, you know, choosing the way we consume entertainment, because one of the things I've noticed, um, actually, you know, I'm picking on Kelsey, but what she's saying is not too far afield from what people are doing, you know, even when they go to live experiences, you know, they're going to a concert to an NFL game or something like that, but they're bringing a device and they're consuming different types of things on that device at the same time that they're actually experiencing the game. Maybe they go into the concourse or something like that. And then, like you said, the, I, I do think there's going to be a, a premium on being able to um, wherever you're sitting in the stadium, choose a different camera angle or see something from a different point of view, or, you know, maybe even participate in a slightly different way. And that gets into new forms of storytelling. Like maybe there's an AR VR component to, 
you know, the event or something like that. Um, that's an interesting thing to think about because that not only requires content to be closer to the end user, but it also requires quite a bit of, um, uh, I, I guess, planning from a network management point of view, because all of those, you know, all of those people are hitting the network at the same time and all trying to, you know, get some sort of new experience. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. The, the capacity point's really, really interesting. Cause if you think about it, you know, what we're, we're traditionally thinking about with capacity is, you know, can I get my, my live stream to a given number of eyeballs in, in a certain location? And then you start saying, well, and like, you know, to your point, right, everyone's going to be a referee in their seat. So we're all going to get the same data that the referee gets in the five different angles. And I can also hear the swearing that happened at the same time. Right? <laughs> but the best. That, that requires you know, sets of data. It requires some um, thinking about capacity planning for additional information that's coming and multiple camera angles. So it's, you know, can I use, if we're in the stadium environment, for example, can I use like, you know, the, the 5G infrastructure or the, the local compute infrastructure that is either available in that metropolitan area or, or is it good enough to go to wherever the closest major data center locations are? And is the latency just in, in, in that physical latency, that distance going to give me the opportunity to provide the right capacity? And so we've we've seen this desire as we've launched things like, you know, uh, we, we have a, a feature called Edge Functions, which allows people to run their own code in, in the CDN. And it's the capacity modeling for that is a different question from the capacity modeling from traditional video distribution. So can we provide the compute resource at in the right location? And, and then what do our relationships with the telcos look like for enabling the use of that uh, compute resource, you know, I've got one workload at four o'clock in the afternoon. I've got a different workload at eight in the afternoon because the event's over and we're doing something else. So the capacity modeling is pretty challenging and interesting. And I think that's where the service layers come in. And, you know, if, if, yeah. if we all go to a stadium and, and there's, there's all of these different services, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the background with, with both the production, remote production and knowing that we've got capacity locally to deliver to that audience, you know, and it's not just a, you know, uh, like a, uh, experience from the 1990s when we all had our Nokia phones that we thought were going to be these amazing things with, <laughs> with, with cellular services that weren't quite right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, that's true. It's a, it's a, it's a completely, um, and we'll, it, there's also just an expectation now that people are going to be, you know, um, I, I remember the other thing about the nineties was it was, it, it was time to put your cell phone away. You know, it was like, we would get stern lectures and things like that, you know, when a concert started and now, they want, you know, sometimes the entertainers will call for you to hold your phones up and, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of sh show that you're participating in the moment and that kind of thing. And I think, I think, yeah, the, to the extent that people can push a differentiated experience for the people there. And then how do you reflect that down the road? Because what you're essentially doing in a live experience is you're creating content, you know, you're participating mm -hmm. in it you're, and you're creating it. So how do you, how do you, uh, carry that over, you know, after the fact or augment that with something down the road. Maybe you want to see this again later or, or w watch it, whatever. And I feel like all the service providers are thinking in those terms, but they've barely gone down that road so far. Um, a, a lot of the venues have, interestingly, like stadiums seem to be really switched mm -hmm. on about um, their infrastructure. When, when Limelight is involved in kind of enhancing a live experience, 
I'm curious as to whether you're usually brought in by the venue as a customer or the network operator as a customer, or is it the entertainment company? I'm, I'm, uh, you know, it, it could be either. And I'm always kind of curious as to how, uh, who, yeah. who invites you to the table. Yeah. I mean, tr- traditionally our customer is, is the, the content producer, right. Or the, 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 the people that want to distribute the video mm-hmm. or the content. Uh, and also our, our customers now, um, we introduced a set of services called service provider solutions. Our customers are also the telco environment. So it, it, it hasn't yet turned into, you know, um, a sort of stadium owner is, is coming to us for the capacity. Um, and I think I think there's potential for those kind of services to evolve over time. But what we're doing with the telcos is, is helping deploy capacity into networks so that they've got the opportunity to you know, gain the density they need. For the eyeballs they're serving, um, for the, the range of uh, both you know what we call global streams, so you know, streams from large external um, streaming platforms, and those those locally created or on net created events that they're trying to distribute to. So there's been the emergence for us of, of sort of that use case of being able to help um, the service provider, you know, both reduce their cost of operation in terms of you know reducing backhaul, also giving them. Density and capacity within their own environments to to distribute their own content, and so yeah, that's been a bit of a change. And I, you know, working with people across the industry, you know, some of the encoding companies, you know, they're very much uh, looking at you know how do they help the event producers, and then that all ties back into when you when you produce the content, you've encoded it, you're packaging it. Now I've got to distribute it. You know, you still need a set of distribution capabilities. So I I, I think it's um, you know COVID probably brought all of that all forward. A little bit, um, and I, I think we're still sort of somewhat nascent with it. But I think we're, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, I think we'd we'd be probably at the next Olympics before we'd seen this much kind of activity in this in this way. I know you all recently did uh, an online uh, video research report and wanted to hear from you um, if there was anything uh, surprising that came out of it. Um, one thing I'm looking at from the some of the results is it, it said that price can be a deal breaker, um, it sounds like, with streaming services. And, you know, earlier when we were talking about uh, short form videos being popular, I was thinking about Quibi and I was like, maybe <laughs> if they'd launched a little later. But um, also, I, I, I still wonder if the you know, the paywall for Quibi was at a, a barrier and maybe it still wouldn't have worked, even though people seem more interested in short form. So yeah. wanted to hear from um, that report what, what you found was um, to be maybe surprising or of note. I think what was interesting there on the, on the point you're talking about is we, we saw that there was a general increase in the number of platforms um, that people were subscribing to. And I think we also saw somewhat of a change in people's attitude to quality. So it's sort of, this goes hand in hand, right? You're going to, I'm going to share more of my wallet with the streaming providing platforms. Um, but in return, I am expecting high quality. So my, um, my patience for a low quality stream is, is getting lower. So I, I think the correlation of those things was, was actually pretty interesting. Um, that, we are as a, you know, sets of consumers expecting that you know, OTT or a streaming platform, you know, a lot of people aren't even going to call it that. They're just going to call it, you know, it's it's video on my phone, right? It's a, it's mm-hmm. a video platform. Those are a core and integral part of our entertainment uh, and what we spend our entertainment money on. But 
it has to be high quality. It has to work when I expect it to. And I want what I want. You know, one of the other pieces that we saw was, I, I think it's in the report, about um, things that are frustrating with streaming services, which is your search and discovery. You know, so a lot of effort has gone into the search and discovery and you know, the, the refresh of the user interfaces and the you know how content is presented up to you based on your, your preferences. So I think those things are also really key for for the streaming platform to keep us interested. You know, it, there are some some that have got an enormous depth of content, and we're expecting you know the things that are hugely popular and over promoted to us to work well, and we're expecting the thing that only I have ever watched in my street to work just as well. And then there are the, mm -hmm. the platforms with less content, and they've got a harder job to do to keep us coming back time and time again because they've got a slightly less deep library. So it, I think those the combination of that and then as a consumer, you know, I've either been thinking about it for a while or I've made a plan or I'm coming to find something that takes my fancy. And it's kind of like catering for those different use cases. It becomes challenging and the, the search and discovery or the curation of the libraries, I think, becomes a key point for us as consumers. And then for us, we have to make sure that who, whatever device you turn up on, Big screen, small screen, 4K, UHD, not for, you know, we can deliver it, it works, it starts, it doesn't error, and you get the best quality you can. Because, um, you know, you as a consumer, you, you don't care. You just want to press play and enjoy right. the video, right? Just want it to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine uh, like a Simpsons episode with Homer just smashing a phone. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a old roommate and I used to joke, we'd go, yay, buffering. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Just a, real sarcastic there. <laughs> but I think the um, the search point you brought up is, is really interesting. And I've noticed that um, Netflix has a trending in the US and they'll rank it one to 10. And that always catches my eye now. I'm like, oh, what's trending and I wonder why and now I would never watch that why is that popular <laughs> you know? so yeah. um yeah that's that's really important because um if that's not um you know if it's not presented in a certain way too you can definitely lose your audience uh so they can just get overwhelmed <laughs> uh, uh, amount of content this brings up a great point Steve about um the consumer expectation you know now that we've been you know largely um, being entertained entirely at home for the last year, do you think that changes the expectation of what people want when they start to slowly go back out into, uh, let's say, go to see a concert or, uh, you know, or, or, or a live sporting event or something like that? I mean, maybe we're becoming slightly conditioned to, you know, instant gratification, right? Um, mm. it's, oh, I didn't want them to play this song. I'm going to look at my phone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder if we'll have less patience for things. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I wonder if um, we're going to want to be fully consumed by the experience. So, so again, things like you're at a concert, you know, um, yeah. can, can I, is the concert venue putting on a, a, an angle from the stage that I can see? Right. Mm, um, or, right. you know, after the event, if stuff is stuff going to get promoted at me and there's a whole set of material that I can consume on the way home and, you know, the sort of concepts of, you know, being able to do those things smartly, being able to do them you know, locally to where I am or even begin the interaction piece. Right. So, you know, we, we've seen during COVID um, so 
with the products that we, we've got, we've got one in particular focused on ultra low latency delivery, sub-second latency delivery. So between the time it's on a, on a, on a, on a camera to my, my phone is less than a second of time. And so and, and the interaction that goes with that is really key because it's about people interacting with the same thing. So if you're in a venue and you're getting some content out and the users can start to interact with it, right? That kind of real-time streaming, that's what we call the, the product, but it has this interactivity capability. That starts to be something that maybe as consumers, we're, we feel like we're engaged with people around us. And maybe that's something in COVID that, that we started to feel, you know, like we, we, we've got a Zoom call on and we've got the TV on in the background and you're kind of talking with people or there's the watch party type apps, right? And maybe that translates into our social experiences as well, right? So interactivity you know this sort of desire or need for there to be a low level of latency because i'm interacting um i think that is something that that we we, we could see continue you know we've seen it in um you know gaming and gambling it's always been there we've also started it in auctions that have happened during covid we've seen it for education uh use cases and we've seen it for uh, even some healthcare type things so I think that's a change how we interact socially will expect you know um immediacy um and the challenge is then for video and for content can i deliver immediacy and interaction in, in the same kind of app in the same bit stream um and that's pretty exciting that is interesting do you think content providers themselves are are ready for that or are they you know they always seem to be you know to me they've always seemed to be um ahead of the game and waiting on the technology to catch up to what their ideas were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of work on latency in the industry over the last couple of years. Um, there's been a lot yeah. of you know, discussion with the um, specifications for streaming to, to Apple devices versus streaming to Android in different formats. Those look like they're coming to a head of, of, of there being common agreement on how to, how to implement it. Um, and the techniques are out there. And again, the, the sub-second piece that we're doing in real-time streaming is with a slightly different format called WebRTC. And so I, I think there are, what's happened is it's, that there are mechanisms of achieving it. And the question now becomes, what's the use case I have for this? So again, you know, like table gaming, right? Or um, it might not be a particularly uh, attractive topic, but you know, there, there are sort of, casino games and, and betting during sports events right whether it's for money or, or for points or whatever you know who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna uh, you know win the next five minutes who's gonna score next that kind of thing that that has all come up to the forefront as a high level of, of interactivity need in streaming and then it, it you know do we need that for a lean back tv experience or is 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 three to five seconds okay um do i need you know interactivity in a second of latency for for education or for you know, some an auction experience for sure. You need it to be absolutely at the gavel drop. Who was the last bidder, right? Um, so I think as an industry, we have to be careful not to not lump everything into the same box and say, of course, everything must be one second of latency. We have to be smart about what what are we doing? What's the use case? What's the consumer expecting? What's a value to people? And, and where there's a need and value, there are capabilities. And uh, where it's like, yeah, five seconds is good then there are also very, very good and reliable solutions for that. And uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of effort in that in the industry and we've spent time in that in Limelight too. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, th I think it'll be interesting to see what that kind of hybrid live entertainment um, future looks like. Are, are people going to still want to um, 
take advantage of concerts and, and sports um, at home? Are they going to be ready to go back um, in person at full force? And then, you know, what, how are content providers going to make it attractive to still attend from home um, and interactive yeah. enough? Uh, yeah. Cause I, I think that's the interesting thing is like, it's not just about selling tickets now it's, it, you know, or it could be still for, for a lot of things, but um, you know, uh, but there is the, the, the other avenues are now open, you know, especially with more people being connected. Um, I, the, the last question I have just, just in terms of, the low latency discussion about content is did is 5g changing anything in terms of the you know the content delivery network or um is it really just one of one of those many things that's help helping reset expectations in the industry i kind of feel like there is a lot of um there's a lot of potential for 5g to help with capacity and scale and distribution um that you know there are a number of features of, of 5g you know slicing for example or and of obviously the localized capability and the, the localized capacity i should say um and i think you it's kind of like saying you know um it's not one thing that's going to rule the world right it, it's it's part of the toolkit for enabling there, there to be scale for distribution um it can be highly localized the 5g you know um multi-edge compute the mech locations can be used for a number of use cases um and they're going to be able to be offered up as capacity for, for for us all to use and so the question becomes how do we best integrate with the capability of 5g um how does that get it how is that additive to the capacity that you know we as limelight already work on and provide with the telcos to make sure we can distribute a peak event and to make sure we can, you know, d distribute a, a game download when it happens, and we're doing an auction, and we're doing a, a live football game at the same time. You know, there's a role for 5G to play in ensuring that you know the, the audiences that want to get to it that are wireless are able to get that high quality experience along with everybody else, and it, and it plays a part in um, you know the overall capacity model. So we we take a lot of effort in ensuring that we're building capacity for. The, you know all of the different bit rates all of the different formats and we're able to distribute you know we know how to manage capacity for different telcos and 5g is certainly going to help you know um, that capacity sort of algorithm um, sort of extend a bit more and, and get content to people where they really need it kelsey does this mean we have to buy 5g phones now <laughs> that extra d is, is what it's about One we've been holding d. out <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll go shopping over the weekend, but until then, uh, uh, Steve Miller-Jones, uh, VP of Strategy, Industry, and Partnerships at Limelight Networks. Thanks so much for joining us on the Light Reading Podcast. Phil, Kelsey, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. For more than 35 years, CSG has simplified the complexity of business, delivering innovative customer engagement solutions. With CSG, companies can acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. Find out more at www.csgi.com.